On Saturday, we'll head to the FW airport and do one of the hardest things for a missionary, and that's getting on a plane and saying goodbye. And I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, we're excited about what God's doing with us in Southeast Asia, and in many ways, we look forward to getting back there. It is what we do, but it's hard. It's hard saying goodbye. And we have Skype, and we have all these ways to communicate and chat just about any time. But there's something about being able to put your arm around somebody you love. And don't take that for granted. Uh, you know, you're here with those you care about, and thank God for that. And uh, tell the folks that are around you you love them and give them a hug, because you can't always give them a hug. And so uh, I want you to pray for us. It's harder on my wife than it is on me, to be honest with you, because I'm looking forward to getting back there and getting into the action. And what I do is exciting. I don't mind telling you, I enjoy what I do. I really like my job. I think when God calls you to do something, he'll give you the joy that you need to do that. Now, uh, when I began, the uh, Lord had me in a place in my life where if I had known, and preacher said this morning, I'm glad I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. If I had known in the beginning where God would have me today, I don't know if I could have done that. I may have quit and uh, just said, uh-uh, not me. I may have done like, a, I may have pulled a Jonah and headed the wrong direction and run away. But the Lord has taken us to where he wants us to be, and now I'm super excited to be doing what I'm doing. I've been in the United States now almost four months on this short furlough, and we're heading back to Thailand, and, and I've gotten a lot of questions. Most places I go, I open it up for questions. I'm not going to do that here because some of you people are crazy, and I don't know what you might ask me. But I wrote down a few questions that I've heard along the way. The most common questions that I hear, because we're working with Muslims, is, is it safe? Has anyone ever threatened you? Uh, well, <laughs> I will tell you, if you had grown up in my home, you would be used to being threatened. And so threats don't, uh, threats aren't what concern me that much. <laughs> if threats were dangerous, I would have died many times already. Is it safe? It's all relative, isn't it? I was driving down I-35 Saturday night last night. wasn't safe at all. It's all relative, but if you're doing what the Lord wants you to do, then it, it is very safe. And we take every precaution. We do everything we can to make it as safe as possible. But in the end, we're there to do a job. And uh, so that's why you need to pray for all of your missionaries, not just us. Uh, another question, do Muslims convert to Christianity? Yes. In 2014, more Muslims converted to Christianity than any year in history previous to 2014. And the numbers haven't come in so far. A lot of missionaries haven't reported, but 2015 will beat 2014. And Muslims are converting the world over. And uh, I, I actually haven't shaved, and I hate not being clean shaven. I always like to shave, but I'm going to an underground meeting in March, and they told me, all of the men must have facial hair. One of the men here said, hey, Brother Randy, you're trying to grow facial hair. I said, yeah, trying. <laughs> That's the key word there. But there's a reason why uh, Muslim men, uh, they're very suspicious of men who do not have facial hair. So I decided, all right, well, I'll give it a whirl. And so uh, March 19, that meeting is over, and I have a date with a razor, and, uh, and I will shave all of this mess off of my face. I don't know how some of you men and a few of you women can deal with that. Oh, 
Say something in Thai. I have people say that all the time. Brother Andy, say something in Thai. You know, we spent a lot of time, many hours learning Thai. Uh, I cannot begin to express to you the amount of energy and money and literally thousands of hours that go into learning a tonal language. You need to pray for Brother Brian and Miss Jamie and their kids. Uh, They're about two years behind where I was, and it's hard. You study something for three or four months, and you feel like you haven't progressed. It's very discouraging. And it takes a long time to become fluent. And you finally get to the point where you think, I'm, I'm getting this. I'm, I'm, I think I'm making it. I'm going to make it, you know. And then something happens that lets you know how little you really know of the language. And it is an emotional train wreck at times. And, and there's no light at the end of the tunnel. You feel like it's a never-ending thing. It's not like getting a bachelor's degree where you know if you go to the classes and you pass it and you pass each of these tests, you start building up all of these credits and eventually you'll have enough, you'll graduate with a bachelor's degree. In my case, in nine years. <laughs> but learning Thai is so much harder than earning a bachelor's degree or, or something like that because uh, there are so many words. There's grammar and tones. And it's very difficult. But I'll say something in Thai for you uh, tonight. Uh, Does anybody know what I said? Anybody want to guess? You might guess. You might guess. You guessed. That's it. When did you learn Thai, brother? That's amazing. That was John 3.16 in Thai. And it takes a long time to be able to learn that and be able to say that. So the next thing, what about your visa, your paperwork to be in Thailand? I work with Muslim people, and the government of Thailand will not offer or issue missionary visas. The, uh, the minister of religious affairs is a Muslim. And so I cannot legally be a missionary in the country of Thailand. So I'm a volunteer as far as they're concerned. And I am, actually. I do volunteer. I teach. English and guitar at a community development center that's run by myself and another missionary friend of mine. We use that as a tool to reach Muslim people with the gospel. And that is what's enabling us to get our visas. And today, I went down to a Federal Express building and picked up my passports with my visa stamp. It's not visa credit card. I'm not talking about visa, MasterCard, American Express. A permit that enables us to enter the country. They stamp it in your passport. I went and picked it up today, and it's valid for a year, but they can... Make it six months. By the way, it costs $1,400 for the permits. And when I get there in 90 days, I have to pay $800 for an extension. Being a missionary is not cheap. Just paperwork costs thousands of dollars a year. And so uh, that's another reason why missionaries have to raise money. But for the time being, we can be there as volunteers. And if they kick us out as volunteers, I'm coming back in as an English teacher at a high school. And if they kick me out as that, I'm going to start a business and go back in. They're going to have to kick me out several times before they get rid of me. After all that time I spent learning Thai, <laughs> I'll change my name, get a fake passport, I don't know, whatever I have to do. Uh, in the information desk in the back is a whole stack of these prayer cards. Please go by and get you some. And there's some on the desk over on the other end, too. Stick it on your refrigerator and pray for us. There's not a lot of information on this, and we don't put a lot on here on purpose because of the work that we're doing uh, with Muslims. Oh, yes. See, if I didn't write it down, I'd have forgot. Somebody saw me over there writing some of this down, and, and they said, Preacher said for you to study, but I don't think he meant last minute. 
I was actually writing this down. If you were here this morning, you got that. Uh, this is a Muslim prayer necklace. They, they have beads on them. On here it says Allah. And I'm not allowed to touch that, you know, because I'm not a Muslim. But they sold it to me, so. And Allah has 99 names. Did you know that? Allah has 99 names. This isn't in the Quran, but it's in their teachings. Allah has 99 names, and I would not disagree with any of them. The names include the all-powerful, the all-knowing. He's known as the loving God, uh, the omnipotent. He's known as the all-forgiving, the all-merciful, the ever-present, the ongoing, the never-ending, and all of these names that you would not disagree with. They have these beads, and in Arabic is a name on each bead, printed in Arabic. And it is said that if a Muslim can recite all 99 names from memory, that he will enter into paradise. So they carry these beads around, and they'll say, Allah is the omnipotent. Allah is. Allah is. And they'll go down all the way through. There's 11 beads, and then there's a marker here. And then there's 11 more, and another marker, and then 11 more, and you're at the beginning again. There's 33. They do it three times. That's 99. They go through the names of Allah. This is what they do when they are praying, when they're needing something, when they're desiring something. It is said by the Muslims that there is a 100th name of Allah, but it is not known by any man. Does anybody know who knows the 100th name of Allah? Have you studied? Does anybody know? Who knows the 100th name of Allah? You won't believe it if I tell you. Does anybody know? I know you know. You're my kid. Put your hand down. (laughs) It is said that only a camel knows the hundredth name of Allah. Have you ever heard of the camel method? It is a method a missionary pioneered in reaching Muslims. And what he does is he goes to them and he says, I know the hundredth name of Allah, and it is Jesus Christ, God. I don't know if I would encourage that, but that's what they use this for. So I've got this. And then one more thing. In Thai, we don't have the scriptures translated for Muslim people. We don't have a translation that they can use. Well, why isn't it just one? They speak Thai. Yes, but all of their religious words are from Arabic. And the Thai Bible that I use, that I quoted to you from, that's a wonderful translation, was made for people who came out of Buddhism. So in their language, certain words do not exist. They had to borrow from their language certain religious words, like baptized, did not exist. They had to borrow from Buddhism. Uh, Names of cities, they matched. And names of people, they matched to English. So, for example, Dawid, that's the name of a person. Who do you think Dawid is? David, yes. Abrahim, no, Abraham. In Arabic, it's Abraim. Okay, so they translated all these names, and a lot of these terms are offensive to Muslims. For example, the name for Jesus in Thai for a former Buddhist person is Prayesu. Pra is a prefix that goes before anything royal or holy. If you just said Yesu, which is Jesus, without the prefix, it would be sacrilegious for a person coming out of Buddhism. Because it would mean he was a commoner, a plain person. That would be like calling your pastor by his first name only. Uh, But worse, because this is royalty, Jesus Christ, okay? And so the Muslims don't go by the same thing. They have a different prefix that they put before prophets and before royalty, and it doesn't match up. So in in Islam, in the the Thai language, for people who are 
uh, adherents of Islam, we only have the book of Luke, the book of John, the book of Psalms, the book of Proverbs, and the book of Romans. Five books. Those are the books we have to work with. And the reason is that nobody has taken time to begin to reach these people in this country. There's only six and a half million. And there's a terrible need right now, a terrible need for people to go and to work among these people. All right. Well, that's all of the little things I had jotted down that I wanted to do. Preacher said I had to be done by 7.30 because he was always done by 7.30. He laughed out loud first, preacher. So what are we doing? We are actively, daily engaging Muslim people with the gospel of Jesus Christ in the most effective way we know how with the goal of seeing them convert and establish local, independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist churches with these people. That is our goal. That's why we are there. And so how long will it take? I don't know, but I know how to do it. I know how to do it. There was a man in the Bible, though, I'd like to talk to you about tonight for just a few moments. I'm not going to preach a long time. I know you get preaching from the Word of God. How many of you believe that you ought to give of what God has given you? Say amen. Well, I I don't have to preach on that then, do I? (laughs) I want to preach on something that you may not hear all of the time. But I'm going to preach on something that's probably going to be hard for you to hear. Turn, I mentioned earlier, Jonah. Turn to the book of Jonah. And, And I just want to bring out a couple of small small ideas about Jonah. First of all, who was Jonah? You know, the Bible doesn't really tell us a lot about him. We know that he was a Hebrew. We know he was a prophet. We know where he, his country was. He said his, he was a country, in his country and that he was talking about the Hebrew nation and these people. But who was this man, Jonah? As you find your book of Jonah, we'll begin reading in chapter 1, and I'll just give a quick overview. I'm not going to touch on the parts I know you know already. You know the story of Jonah and the whale, right? Four of you do anyway. All right. Let's pray before I begin. Lord, I thank you this evening for everyone who's uh, come out tonight to worship you in this place. I pray that you would use your word to be a blessing to someone here, to cause us to think about things maybe in a different light a little bit tonight. I pray that it would be you that would speak through me. Lord, I pray that your word would speak to us all, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Jonah was an Israelite. And you know the Jews have had enemies from the beginning. From the very beginning, they have had enemies. When I study the life of, of this man, Jonah, and his ministry and what he did, and I look at who Jonah was, he had a good reason to have an issue with these people from Nineveh, did he not? Do you know where Nineveh is, by the way? It's, they've, archaeologists have found uh, Nineveh. It's near Mosul in northern Iraq. <laughs> is it any wonder that these people were enemies of the Jews? They still are. And I will tell you, as much as I care about Muslims and as much as I love them and as much as I want to see them come to Christ, and as much as there's a lot of misinformation here in America about what Muslims believe and what they think and what they think about us, let me tell you one thing that they all agree on. They hate the Jews. That's in there. It's in their DNA. Even the nice ones that I know, no, they don't like the Jews. They can't tell you why. They just know that they hate them. And it's in there. It's in there, and it's been there from the beginning. And these people uh, from near Mosul, this town called Nineveh, they hated the Jews also. They were an enemy. They were an enemy. So I can imagine how Jonah must have felt. You know, Jonah was a type of missionary. 
You know, he was in his home country, and then God called him and said, I want you to go to another place and speak against them, he said. Oh, it's, it's always fun going to another place where you don't belong and speaking against people and what they're doing. You know what missionaries do? We tell people who believe they already know everything about how to get to heaven and avoid hell that they're wrong and that we're right. It's a very popular thing to do, you can imagine. Who are these people from Nineveh? We know a little bit about these people. Verse number 2 of chapter 1, God told uh, Jonah, he said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, so we know it's a large city, and cry against it for what? Their wickedness is come up before me. See, God was aware of the wickedness that these people were involved in. And by the way, God is always aware of wickedness. In their lives and in your life and in my life, God is always aware. He knows what's happening. And these people were wicked people. If you jump ahead to chapter number 3, in verse number 8, the king was talking here of Nineveh, and he said, verse 8, But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from what? From his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. So these people are wicked, we know. They are evil people, we know. And they are violent people. Those are the three things we know about these people from Nineveh. Sound familiar? Oh, and we know they're enemies of the Jews. We know that about them, too. There's, there's other people in the world like that still today, by the way. They're evil, they're wicked, and they are violent. Evil, wicked, and violent. That's what we know about them. Well, what did God tell Jonah to do? He said, rise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. So you know what Jonah did, right? Jonah got up, and he went the wrong direction. He thought he was going the right direction, but he went the wrong direction. And a storm came up. He was going to Tarshish. Some people believe that's near Spain. He was going west. He needed to be going east. He got on a boat. He needed to be going over land. He did what he wanted to do. But what I really want to focus in on tonight is the why. Is the why. Why did Jonah do that? Why did Jonah not go and preach to these people? Because it was too far? No. Tarshish was a lot further away. Because he didn't want to travel? Of course not. He left his home country. Because he didn't have the funds necessary to do what God had called him to do? That's a common excuse. No, he was able to hire a boat, take him all the way to Tarshish. He certainly could have made it all the way to Nineveh. These are all excuses, reasons why Jonah didn't want to do what God had called him to do. But God had clearly called him to do it. He knew that. You know what he said of himself in verse number 9 of chapter number 1? When the storm came and the men said, and the lot fell on Jonah, you know the story. And the men said, who are you? This is how Jonah identified himself. I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. And at that time, they were hoping for dry land. But Jonah said, I believe in God, and I fear him. Really? then why are you headed west? Really? I think Jonah did fear God, just not enough. Not enough to do something that he was so opposed to doing. He feared God, but not enough. What was it that caused Jonah not to go to Nineveh? Something that even though he feared God, even though he was a Hebrew, 
Even though he knew God had told him to go and cry out against these people, what was it that caused Jonah to say, no, I'm not going to do it? Do you, have you thought about this? They took Jonah and they threw him in the ocean, right? And what happened? Great big fish came and swallowed him. You say, Brother Andy, you don't believe that. Hey, if the Bible said that Jonah swallowed a great big fish, I'd believe that. Okay, if it's in the Bible, I believe it. Jonah got swallowed up by a great big fish. And then what happened? Nothing for three days. No. Myself, I would have been praying as I left the boat. How about you? Have you thought about that? Jonah waited three days before he cried out for help. Such was the bitterness and the hatred that he felt towards these people that God had told him to go cry out against, that he would rather stay in the belly of a fish and wish for death to come upon him. But at some point he realized, I'm not going to die. I'm just going to ride around in the belly of this fish till I repent. Until I come to my senses. And so he did. And he prayed. He cried out in chapter number 2. And in verse number 3, look, chapter number 3, verse 1, look what happened. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. This is after the fishes vomited him out on dry land, saying, again, verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. That right there is the formula for success for a missionary. Go to where God tells you to go and preach what God tells you to preach. I remember when I was ordained, a pastor preached the sermon, my ordination. And he said, Randy, if you need to get a big crowd together, don't be bringing no motorcycles in here. Don't be, don't be dressing up people in, 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 in funny costumes trying to attract a crowd. He said, preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the word. That's what missionaries should be doing. Preaching the word. God told Jonah in chapter uh, 1, verse number 2, go and cry out against them. And then in chapter 3, in verse number 1, he said, go and preach what I will, what I will tell you to preach. That's how God operates. He tells us to go and to say, now what was the message that God gave uh, Jonah to give to these people? Same message we are to preach today. Repent. Repent. Now, you will find today in most of the churches that I go to that that preaching is not taught on or preached on very often. There's a lot of things preached on in our churches in America, but repentance is lacking. Repentance is lacking. John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus Christ taught that we ought to repent. This teaching is all through scriptures, but it's lacking in our churches. When God told Jonah, you go and you preach what I tell you to preach, then God sent Jonah. When Jonah finally did what God told him to do, guess what the message was? Yet in 40 days, this city will be overthrown. Unless you repent. Unless you repent. Well, I'm just going to jump ahead quickly now. What happened? What happened? Chapter number 3, verse number 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God. Well, that's good. Amen. What? If the, if the people I go to believe God, I'm going to be happy. Amen. I'm going to be out on cloud nine. When I get my first Muslim convert, I'm going to be so happy. I'm not going to have any problem writing a prayer letter that day. <laughs> I'm going to be able to communicate back to my supporters the wonderful news. We got our first convert. That's going to be an exciting day. 
These people believed. Verse number 10, look down in chapter 3, verse number 10. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Praise the Lord. Hey, man, these people, they're not going to be overthrown. They're not going to be 120,000 slaughtered there in the city. They're not going to be burned up. Praise the Lord. Now they're serving God, believing God. It's wonderful, is it not? Well, look at what chapter 4, verse 1 says. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Why? Why was he so... Why did he hate these people so much? Why was he so upset? Be careful. The message tonight, church, is be careful. Be careful. There are people who hurt us. There are people who would like to see us destroyed, no doubt. No doubt. Of course they would. Of course they would. They are our enemies. We are the children of the true living God. Why wouldn't they want to destroy us? They are not. Amen? Somebody said, is Allah God? Allah is God in Arabic. I will tell you a secret. Somebody told me Allah is Satan. No, Allah is not Satan. Satan is Satan. There is no Allah. There is no Allah like it's seen in the Quran. That individual, and compared with the scriptures, does not exist. Don't be fooled. Don't be afraid. There is no Allah. Yahweh exists. Jehovah exists. Jesus Christ is God. That you can say. You don't have to be afraid of that. But I will tell you, there is no Allah. You don't have to be afraid of him. Some people get upset by that. That's his name right there. It doesn't bother me one bit to touch it, even though I'm an infidel to some of them. All right? I got friends that are Christians that are infidels. <laughs> Don't bother me much that they call me that. <laughs> Jonah was so upset. Why is it? Look at verse number two. I'll show you why Jonah was so upset. Chapter four, verse number two. Jonah again prays. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God. Oh, here comes the complaining. Oh, God, you're so gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. You know why Jonah was upset? Because he wanted the good old days of Sodom and Gomorrah. For fire to rain down from heaven and burn up these 120,000 evil, wicked, violent people. That's not what God wanted for them, is it? That's not what God wanted for them. Now, what is it that you want for them? What is it that you want for them? Do you want to bless them? Because that's what Jesus says you ought to want to do. You ought to want to bless them with the gospel of Jesus Christ and eternal life in a place called heaven. And if you don't want that for your enemy, you're not living the life that you ought to be living. Oh, I told you it was going to be hard. Why did, why did Jonah not care? We see why he didn't care. Because he said in verse number 2, this is what I said was going to happen back when I was in my country. Wow. When I'm over there, I remember my country. I remember things in my country. And I miss my country. And I love my country. I love, I don't just love my country. I love Texas in particular. 
and, not, and just more than just Texas, I love Joshua in particular. I love it here. If I could be anywhere, it would be here. I love it here. This is my country. Jonah said, God, I knew it. I knew you were going to forgive them if they repented. Jonah said, God, I knew when you sent me all the way from my home country to come all the way up here to Nineveh, I knew if I preached the word, they'd repent, then you'd forgive them, not look bad. I knew you wouldn't rain fire down from heaven and burn them all up. That's why I didn't want to come. I thought if I didn't come and didn't preach, they wouldn't repent and you would punish them. That's why I didn't want to come. We can see that because of his attitude towards the end of this chapter. Therefore, we'll read it, verse number 3, chapter 4. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He so despised these people, he would rather die than see them blessed. That's how they feel about you. That's why they will strap on dynamite, walk into a crowd, and pull the trigger. We can't be like that. We're Christians. We are supposed to love those who hate us. They lie about us. We're supposed to bless them. We're supposed to do good to them, even if they use us, even if they abuse us. Why is that? Because of who their supposed God is and because of who our God really is. Well, you know the story. Verse number four. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? Verse 5, So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. Oh, Jonah still had hope. He still had hope. Maybe if I pitch a tantrum and have a hissy fit and say, Why don't you just kill me, God? I'm just going to go over to the east side. I'm going to see what happens. Maybe fire will still fall. Maybe God will still burn them all up. Maybe the city will still be overthrown. He still had out, held out hope that God was going, to, was going to bring fire down on these people. Look at verse number 6. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. God's even merciful of his people. <laughs> I wouldn't have been. Now, if I'd have been God, I'd have let fire come down from heaven right about then, but it wouldn't have been on the city. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm. When the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah. And he fainted and wished himself in himself to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Boy, this man is in desperate straits, isn't he? Isn't he? You know what his problem was? He had a bad attitude. He's thinking about himself. He's thinking about all the things he has given up. He's thinking about how far he was from home. He's thinking about all the things he is doing without. Us missionaries can do that sometimes. We'll think of all the things we're giving up. When we are our ambassadors sent out by God to proclaim and speak as if it were his words. What an honor. What an honor. Oh, Jonah saved 120,000 souls and went up on the side of the hill having a pity party. And God still had mercy on him. Verse number 9, And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the Lord? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the Lord, 
For which, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. He said, boy, you, you sure cared about that gourd. You sure cared about that gourd because it gave you a little shade on your head. You didn't plant it. You didn't fertilize it. You didn't water it. You didn't prune it. You didn't create it. You didn't sacrifice. You didn't labor. You did nothing. Who made it? God made it. God made it. Let me tell you a one-point message why you should care. Why you should care about Muslims. Because there is one who labored. There is one who labored for them. And that ought to be enough. There is one who came and was born of a virgin. There is one who lived a perfect life. There is one who allowed himself to be crucified for their sins. For their sins he died. It didn't cost you anything. That's why you don't care. We're only thinking of what we have the potential to lose ourselves. And there is. There is the potential to lose ourselves. We need to pray for our country. But we need to remember something that's very important. Very, very important. And that is that we didn't labor for them, but God did. And that ought to be enough. And there's something else in verse number 11. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand? These people are ignorant of the truth. God says to Jonah, how could you not pity 120,000 people who are so lost in this world they can't even discern their right hand from their left? You want to see these people perish? You want to see people who don't know the truth perish? God says you didn't labor, you didn't toil, you didn't suffer for them, and that's why you don't care. But Jesus did, and Jesus does care, and you and I should care. You say, Brother Randy, "Uh uh-uh, not me. I can't do that. I, I cannot love people who hate me because I'm an American so much. I can't love somebody who may be responsible for a, a relative's death in the military. I can't love somebody who's a terrorist and wants nothing but ill will for me. I can't do it. Well, guess what? You're in luck. <laughs> because you're a member of a church that will send people like me to go do it for you. I'll do your dirty work. I'll do it gladly. I'll do it for you. I'll go love them for you. If you just don't have the capacity to do it, that's all right. I'll do it for you. Send me. I'll do it. You've got lots of good missionaries you support. Send them. Did you know every time you put any money in the plate, I get a percentage of that? Did you know this church gives more than 10% of the growth that comes into missions? You don't have to decide what missionary to send it to, what field is needy or not needy. All you've got to do is come to this place and be faithful and do what God tells you to do. God's going to bless you. God's going to bless me. God's going to bless them. That's a pretty good deal right there. That's a good deal for you, and that's a good deal for me. But I want, to t- I want to tell you something. You ought not hate these people. That is not a solution. You ought not to hate these people. They cannot discern their right hand from their left hand. They are ignorant. The things that they believe about you are not true. The things they believe about who God is, it's not true. 
They have been deceived by the great deceiver. That's why you can look at their most holy book. It's full of truths mixed with lies. And that is Satan's trademark. The great deceiver. The way you deceive. The way any poker player wins. A little truth mixed with some lie. The way any politician wins. Some truth mixed with some lies. Any deceiver knows the best way to deceive is just tell some truth mixed with some lies. That has been his M.O. from the beginning. We cannot fall into that trap. We cannot do that. As true believers in Jesus Christ, we cannot do that. We need to reach out to them with the gospel. These are people who live in bondage. I know, I see them. Their religion is a religion of bondage. It is not a religion of freedom. But Jesus said, you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. You know what you ought to wish for these folks? And I mean the worst ones. You know, there was a guy that went to a family that was Christian's house and drug them out of their house, kicking and screaming, and drug them off to be persecuted because they were Christians. You know, somebody like that wouldn't bother us one little bit to see that person get shot, would it? They're persecuting Christians on purpose. They are consenting to the death of Christians on purpose. By the way, we had a man in the Bible named Saul that did that. He turned out pretty good, though, didn't he? I don't mind telling you. Preacher preached this morning a sermon. If you, did, if you weren't here this morning, you missed a blessing. You, you did. You know there's something else about fishing. The big fish are in the deep water. And I will tell you something. I'm looking for a big one. I'm looking for a Saul. You say, well, you ought to be content. Now, I'm not content. I want a big one. I don't like to fish that much, but when I go, I like to catch a big one. I do. And when I see Muslim people, I'm always thinking, boy, man, if this one changed, wow, man, he's a go-getter already. All I'd have to do is just point him the right direction, just get out of his way. Be like Pac-Man. He'd be just going around picking them off. <laughs> hey, did you know that every Muslim terrorist we killed makes one less terrorist we got to kill? But every Muslim terrorist we convert makes one less terrorist we've got to kill and one more Christian in the kingdom of heaven for all of eternity. I, I'm sorry, I, was just, I enjoyed math in school. I'd rather turn them around if you can. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can't. You know what we ought to do as Christians? Support those who are defending us 100%. Turn them loose and let them do what, they, what their job is to do. Pray for them. Support them. Do what we can. We also ought to send missionaries. Because those missionaries will find us all. We will find one. And God will change that person's life. And they'll go into these groups of people and they'll start reaching more. Islam has a problem from within. It is called Christianity coming inside of their groups. We have problems too in Christianity. It's just because we've become lax. Just let the world kind of soak in. It's not Islam soaking into our life though. Nobody here is tempted to convert to Islam. Any of you ladies fancy the idea of wearing a black sheet all day long and looking out through little ninja holes and uh, <laughs> burning up in the sun? I think not. But women in Islam are converting to Christianity every day. They are converting. They are converting. Some estimates are as high as 25,000 Muslims a day converting to Christianity. Nobody really knows because they have to stay underground. 
well, your missionaries that you support in this church are doing a good job. And they're doing the best they can, and we ought to support them. And if you'll just do what you're supposed to do, if you'll just do what your preacher says, if you just come in here and serve the Lord, give what it is that God tells you to give. It's all His anyway. We've learned that this whole month. And missions just ties right in with that so well. If you just do what you're supposed to do, you may be responsible for seeing somebody on the other side of the world that is persecuting Christians turn around and start being a blessing to Christians. Blessing people will bring blessings back to you. It comes back around. I know it's a hard message tonight. It took me a long while to come to this realization, all right? So I wouldn't expect you to want to change in a day, but I do want you to think about something. Just think about it. They, too, were created in the image of God. They too. They too. They may act like animals, but they're not. They are people. And they will be somewhere for all of eternity. And it is our duty as true believers in Jesus Christ. We don't want Christ's death to be in vain when it comes to them. So let's take on the gospel. Let's preach it to them. Let's preach the truth. Let's preach the good news of the gospel to people who don't have it. Now, I've talked about Muslims on the other side of the world, but guess what? There's lost people in your community. There's lost people live across the street from your house. Don't hate them. Don't despise them so much that you'd rather see them die and go to hell than be blessed with the gospel. Take the gospel to them.